0: We just come before you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask that you bless and guide as We look at the scripture tonight and that you will have us to see what you would have us to see from this. In your son's precious name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. And know you this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, and his miracles and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all his land, and what he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses, and unto their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them unto this day. And what he did unto you in the wilderness until you came into this place, and we did what he did to Dotham and Abiram the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their, and their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in all the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts that the Lord, of the Lord, which he. Did so. We're going to stop there for a moment because there's quite a bit of history just in these first uh, eight verses. It says, "Therefore, and this is he's continuing his his instruction on the people. You remember last last week we talked about them being stiff-necked and rebellious and and all of that. He says, "Therefore, you shall keep the love. Uh, therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgment and his commandments." always, or actually in Hebrew, it would be today. But he says, you shall love the Lord. This has been a theme through Deuteronomy, love the Lord, because what you love, you will work at keeping them happy. And we see this, you know, when you first, when you, when you see, it's kind of funny when you see people that are in a relationship together, and they're just starting They don't see the bad in each other, which is not a good thing necessarily, but they're always striving to do what the other one likes. And you'll see guys that'll go shopping at the shopping mall when when after they're married, they won't even go anywhere near the mall. You'll see the girls say, yeah, I'll watch watch the baseball game and the football game with you. And after they get married, they won't, (laughs) you know, they don't want to have anything to do with it. But real love sacrifices for the other person. And this is what it is all about. And God loves us so much that he gave his son for our salvation. And when we're showing him love, not that we'll ever earn anything from him, but we want to do what pleases him. And this is what I think when, when I was growing up, I loved my parents and I wanted to do what it pleased them. So I usually stayed out of trouble. I was a compliant kid anyway, so it wasn't that hard. But I wanted to do what made them happy Not because they would love me more and like me more, but just because I wanted to be obedient to them. And this is what God is saying. You shall love the Lord your God. How will that love be shown? You will keep his charges or guard his charges, his instructions. You will do what he tells you to do. His statutes and his judgments and his commandments. In other words, we try to be obedient to him. And that within our sinful nature is quite an effort for us to do. To be obedient to him is, is an effort, especially when we're first starting out with it. The more we do it, the more he's changed who we are, the easier it becomes. It will never be easy, but it becomes easier. And hopefully you've seen that in various areas of your life where you look at things and you go, and you look at yourself and say, wow, I'm following God in this area. And you look back and say, well, used, it used to be very difficult. A lot of times people find that when they're reading the Word of God and you challenge people to read God's Word and they go, well, I just can't get into reading His Word. It doesn't understand. And then after a while, God starts making it come alive. And we listen to it and we we read it. And it says, And know you this day, for I speak not with your children, which have not known and which have not seen the chastisement of the Lord your God, the greatness of His hand, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. So he's talking to the elders at this point. Remember, they've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Why were they wandering 40 years in the wilderness? Because the people rejected entering into the promised land. They said, God brought us here just to kill us. So he said, fine, you get to die in the wilderness and your children get to go in. But the older ones, and even in this, because he killed everybody that was 20 and upward, so there were some of these children who were old. You know, some of these people that are now older, they're in their they're they're in their forties uh, to to almost sixty. And he's saying, I'm not speaking now to the children, the ones who don't haven't seen. I'm speaking to the ones who saw, the ones who saw what God did, how God destroyed Egypt. And we've talked about this many times. God sent the ten plagues. He, he turned the river. Uh, Nile into blood he sent the flies he sent the darkness he sent the the plague on the animals he sent the Passover all these different plagues that he put on them and destroyed Egypt then as they were economically destroyed and they were leaving Pharaoh decided to chase after them and he got militarily destroyed when he sent his chariots an army in to follow the Israelites who crossed the Red Sea on, on dry land and God dumped the Red Sea over, on top of them. That's pretty amazing. There's a group of people trying to say that they didn't cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Red the Sea of Reeds, which is only about four feet deep. Boy, that was quite a miracle for him to drown the entire <laughs> Egyptian army in a four foot deep <laughs> pond. You know, so they really got a lot of faith that they want to say that that's where they didn't cross the Red Sea. They crossed that little pond. But they did cross the Red Sea in the midst of the water in a miraculous way. And God destroyed Egypt economically and militarily. And a great changeover in their dynasty happened at that point in time. Then wandering through the wilderness, how he provided for them, and he kept giving them great miracles. And he's really going to the parents and saying, I want you to remember what God has done and make sure you're telling your kids about it. How often do we really learn from things that other people tell us or watching what happens to other people. You can learn a little bit and you might learn a little bit that way, but most people are pretty hard-headed. They have to learn by the school of hard knocks. It has to happen to them for them to finally just get it through their head that it's real. And, but Moses here is telling them from God's communication I'm talking to you that actually have seen it. Not your kids who heard about it, but you who watched God do these great things. How he did the miracles in his acts. How in the midst of Egypt to the Pharaoh and unto all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt and their horses and their chariots. He made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued you. So he's going back. He's going back to what has happened. And we've really gone back. This whole book of Deuteronomy has a major theme of Remember what has happened that's brought you to the place that you're at. And this is what I've been emphasizing with us. What has happened in our life that God has done to bring us to where, where we are at right now? And that's individual for each person because God, he's not talking to a nation where the nation's gone through everything. But each of us individually have had things that God has done to bring us where we are at. Sometimes it's been good things that bring us to us where we're at. And sometimes it's been very hard things that bring us to where we're at. But he's saying, I want you to learn what has God done? What has he done in your life? And I challenge you to think back and look over this. What has God done in your life to bring you where you're at? Whether it's good or bad doesn't matter because it all brings us to where where we're at now. I would not want to go back and change anything in my life because everything in my life made me who I am today. All the good and the bad makes me who I am today. To be able to minister to certain people, be able to do certain things. And God is telling his people, look back. Look back and see what God is doing. Teach it to your children. They may not learn as much, but teach them. And that's the purpose of the word of God. We go back, we look at what God has done. We look at what he's done in more recent days as we get into some of the biographies and testimonies of people. And then as we talk to other Christians and see what God is doing today, all of these things should build our faith and our trust in God. Because we look at what God has done in the scriptures and and a lot of times people go, well, yeah, that's what he did 4,000 years ago. What's he doing today? And unfortunately, we as humans think that term. You know, that's fine. That was, that was, you did that in the past, but what, do you, what, what have you done today? What are you doing for me lately? And we've got to be careful of doing that with God. Number one, He has done plenty if we open our eyes and look. But His promises are that He's going to be there. He's going to serve. He's going to help. And we need to look at our own life. We need to look at others and see what God is doing. And God is blessing everybody all the time. And we need to learn to share those with each other. And here He's telling them, what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. What has he done for them? He's given them water. He's given them food. He's given them quail. He's given them more water. He's healed the waters that were not good to drink. And and he's guided them through the wilderness with the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire. they, They followed for the entire time in the wilderness. He's given them military victories. And God is saying, you know what I'm doing. We've also got some judgments. And and he's going to go into some of those judgments. And we look at this and it says, uh, in verse 6, And what he did to Dotham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. Does anybody remember who Dotham and Abiram are? They stood aside Korah, when Korah and them... challenged Moses for the authority over the children of Israel and Moses but when, I love it because Moses went right down to his knees and face and he bowed and he prayed to God and God says okay Korah Dotham and Eliab and your families you go over there by this place and the rest of you get away from them and I will show you who I've chosen and the ground split wide open swallowed Korah and Dotham and Eliab Ram and all of their families and closed back up. Alright. God showed who he had chosen. And this is just one of the things. That he's talking about. But your eyes have seen all the great acts. Which the Lord has done. Verse 8. Therefore you shall keep the commandments. Which I command you this day. That you be strong. And go in and possess the land. whither you go in to possess it. God says. Because you have seen. What I have done in the past. Go out. And keep my commandments keep doing what I've told you to do because you have seen what I have done and this is why it's important for us to look at what judgments have we gone through because of the bad decisions that we have made for God keeps dead because he knows how easy it is for them to stand in their flesh and walk away and that's what he does for us as well keep strong stay strong keep strong because he knows that we have a nature that wants to live in the flesh and turn away. And why we keep getting told this? All, through, all the way through the Old New Testament, we're going to be told, keep strong, keep, keep the faith, keep walking with God. Why? Because God understands that our nature is to do wrong things. And if we aren't sitting there praying and asking God to be in charge and leading us and growing in him, we will fail. And he keeps telling them, go forward. Look at what I've done. Be ready to go forward. He does, And he keeps going on. I, he, that he judges the wicked. And we see that in our own lives. When we do wrong things, God sends judgment to us. We can sin and we are forgiven, but there are consequences for every sin that we do. And this is very important for us to understand. We will be forgiven, yes, but we will suffer consequences for those sins. And if you are in charge of something, a family, a church, a Sunday school class or whatever, your, your disobedience affects all of the people that are under you as well, especially for fathers. When we disobey God, we will affect our families in ways that we don't really want to see them affected, okay. hopefully. Hopefully. David's a great example on that. They didn't raise his kids right. And we see Solomon was even worse than his dad. And that's usually the next generation is worse than the previous generation. Unless God steps in with a mighty uh, redeeming of them and changing their lives. But And I've seen that as well. But he says in verse 9, be strong. Well, let's go to verse 8. Therefore, he says, Keep my commandments, which I say, that is, in, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither you go, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore, swore unto your fathers to give to them and to their seed, a land that flows with milk and honey. We keep God's commandments for prolonging our life. And how many times have you gone and you've disobeyed God? and you've seen the damage done we see people who disobey god and they do permanent damage to their bodies sometimes they will never be re- repaired unless god does a miracle and god says obey obey and if we obey him he promises us blessings and that's part of the sowing and reaping when we obey him we reap good when we disobey him we reap bad And the laws of sowing and reaping is when you sow, you reap more than you sow. All right? This is true when the farmer, a farmer plants a a seed of corn, he does not expect to get one seed of corn back. That would be a very bad business. I plant one seed and I get one seed would not be a very good business. He plants a seed and he gets a great big stalk that has several ears of corn on it. You plant one potato seedling in the, in the ground and it produces lots of potatoes underneath the ground if it, if it does its job. And the same thing is true when we are obedient or disobedient to God. We sow a seed and we reap more than we plant. So this is why it's important for us to plant good seed so that we get overwhelmed with good <laughs> rewards. And God is saying, I'm going to make you prosperous if you just be obedient <laughs> you you be obedient I'm going to give you this whole land flowing with milk and honey and by the way, you get to keep it uh, and then, and they did not do a very good job you know it's going to take you know about eight nine hundred years, but they're going to lose their land after this, but because of their disobedience, they did not stay strong they did not keep teaching their kids they did not lift God up in front of their in front of their faces or in front of their children's faces. And they would keep going back into sin. Verse ten, for the land where you go to possess, it is not as the land of Egypt from whence you came out, where you sowed your seed and watered it with your with your foot and the garden of herbs. But the land where you go to possess is a land of valley hills and valleys and drink and drink water of rain from the heaven, a land which the Lord your God cares for, and eyes, for the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even until the end of the year. So he's now contrasting the land they're going to with the land of Egypt. And we look at this and he says, the land of Egypt from where you came, you planted your seed and you watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. And this one, you have to kind of know what happens in, Egypt, even to this day, they, the old-fashioned ones, they have foot pumps, and when they, they go near the river and they run their pump into the water, and they, they step down on this pump and they pump the water out of the, the Nile into the fields. Now nowadays, a lot of them, of course, have electric pumps, but it, they're still the older places where the guys are just still using their foot there. It goes, "You planted, and if you wanted to water it, you either carried it with buckets, which was a really slow way, or you." Pumped it with your foot, on a, on a foot pump, huh? Well, it would be for as a once in a while thing, but every every single day of the the watering season would not be <laughs> what you'd want to do. So he says, "Your toil in Egypt, you toiled greatly, just to get the water to the fields." And he goes, "The land you're going in, it's a land of hills and valleys." The that drinks water of the rain of heaven. So in other words, he's saying it's hills and valleys, which means rivers and streams. And it says it rains in the right times. And so you're not having to manually get the water to your fields. It's going to, God is going to give you his basically what it says, I'm giving you the water for your fields. And he says, and he, and it's an, one that the Lord cares for and his eyes are on it. And he sends the water at the right times from year to year. And this is something that they saw when they got there. They saw a land that was extremely fertile. And if you remember, when they went in and spied out the land, they had a, one, one cluster of grapes that was held on a pole between two men. They carried in melons that you know, f- took their, both their hands, and they're going, this is a land that is as good as God says it is. And then they said, but. Never put the but there. When God tells you something's good, he will give you what you need. Because every time God tells us to do something, Satan will put in, show us the obstacles that can keep us from doing it. And this is true no matter what we do. No matter what we do, Satan is going to throw in, here's your obstacle. The, the church is going to go do this ministry. And somebody will go, well, where's the money coming from? <laughs> God will provide. God will say, I want you to... Do move someplace and goes, Well, God, how how am I going to live? What you know, God's saying, I will provide, and Satan's throwing up all these all these arguments for not doing it. Satan is good about trying to stop us from going forward with God. And that's why God says, keep your eyes on what He's doing. He says, I'm sending you to a land. It's a land that I'm going to care for. I'm going to water your crops. I'm going to do everything for you. And the people their parents looked at that land and saw uh, giants and we're just little tiny bugs. They can step on us and kill us. Because <laughs> that's what they said. We're grasshoppers in their sights. They see us as grasshoppers. And if you go around, especially around here in this day, there's grasshoppers everywhere. i got grasshoppers all around my house banging into the walls and everything else every time I walk out. Know? But they're tiny little things. They can be stepped on in just a heartbeat. And their, parent, their parents had said, we're just grasshoppers. They can stomp on us and kill... Killed dozens of us at a time just by walking around. We're not going in, God. You, you, you told us it's a good land, but you forgot to tell us about the giants. And God says, I've got, I will take care of the giants. I'm giving you the land. We need to be careful. When we know that God's telling us to do something, we need to step out in it no matter what giants we see in the path. Because they probably aren't giants uh, because they just look bigger because we're afraid. And that's, usually, that's an axiom of war that you know, that a fleeing soldier counts every, every enemy three times. So when they come back and tell you there's, there's 21,000 people behind me, there's only probably about 7,000 people chasing them, but they're just so afraid that they're seeing bigger problems than are actually there. And when we go to step out with God, oftentimes we look at the problems and we need to know God told us to do it, it's done. David going out against Goliath. You know, little short David, you know, probably only about four foot tall at the age that he was, maybe maybe five if he was really, really big, against a nine foot six giant. Okay. This guy's tw- more than twice his height, and David has the confidence that God's going to put him in his hand. Why David, out of all the thousands of Israelites standing there that had a long time of military service, none of them had the... the uh, ability to see what God had in store and step forward. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in the middle, middle of a plane being told to bow down before the idol when they hear the music. And the music plays and all these thousands of people bow down and here's three guys standing in the middle of the plane. You don't think they stood out? <laughs> you know, they could have easily have said, well, we'll just, bow, we'll just pretend to bow down. We won't really pray, but we'll just, we'll just bow down so we'll stay out of trouble. They could have said that. But they go, no, we're not even going to bow down. We're not even going to make it look like we're honoring this God, this idol. We're going to stand for our own. We see this over and over throughout all the scriptures, throughout all of history. People standing for God, sometimes to their death, sometimes to being miraculously saved. But God says, I'm going to show you what it means. I have given you a job because even those who have given their life for Christ and for God have been immortalized by somebody saying, they went with such great courage that I want to follow that God. And that has happened over and over. And if you read Fox's book, Martyrs, it tells you a lot of these people who got saved because somebody else gave their life. And they looked and said, that's something I want. I want something that I can die for. And most of us would are in that place where we want something that we would feel strong enough about that we would be willing to die for it. And this is going to be something for us Christians that may be just around the corner in our day and age, maybe just around the corner that we may have to give our lives or be willing to give our lives for Christ. This morning on Family Talk on the way in, I was listening to Corey Tenboom being interviewed. And uh, if you don't know her, she's the one that the hiding place and she helped her and her family helped Jews out of out of Nazi Germany, uh, uh, or Holland anyway, they lived in Holland. But she talked about how precious God was and how so many people gave their lives to help God's people. And those very lives would then generate others to say, you're following something that's worth dying for. All of the disciples, except John, died of martyr's death because they believed in their, what they were talking about so much. They're going, I'm going to die for him. He died for us. But I'm willing to die for him. I hope that when I have to face that, that God's going to give me the grace to say yes. I want to say yes, I would. But you know, you don't know what we're going to do till we face it. But we need to prepare ourselves for such a time as when we may have to pay with our very lives. There are many places in this world that Christians pay with their life today for being a Christian. We're not far from that in America. It's not far away. It's happening around the world. There are things that people will die for. For us as Christians we want to be able to say I love God so much I am willing to give my life for him if that's what he wants. We need to have that decision made long before we're we're facing the barrel of a gun. The time to choose to obey God is not when you're in the middle of the test. That is not the time to decide I'm going to do something. I love it when people say, well, if I win the lottery, I'll tithe out of the lottery. Are you tithing now? Absolutely not. Then you won't tithe if you won the lottery. If you're not faithful in little things, you will not be faithful in a lot of things. Well, no, if God just allowed me you know, a little more time in my week, I would, I would be able to serve him. And God lets them lose their job and they don't serve God. <laughs> because now all of a sudden they're worried about getting that new job. I've watched over the years, people who serve God, serve God, whether they have a a lot of money or a little bit of money, whether they have a lot of time or a little bit of time. We make time for what's important to us and we make money available for what's important to us. When somebody's deep into alcohol, cigarettes or drugs, they find ways to get money for those items, even if they have to sacrifice somewhere else. And yet people will go, well, I just don't have any money left at the end of the month. Well, of course you don't. You'll never have money left over at the end of the month if you don't prioritize God. We say, well, I would just serve God if I didn't have to work so hard at my job. I've seen it over the years. You either serve God or you don't. You make time for Him. And the same people who have no time, if they were given front row seats to some concert for an artist that they love or really 50 line or any seat in the, in the sporting event, I could almost guarantee they would make time in their busy schedule to go take care of, you know, take advantage of that, but they won't make time to make God a, a priority in their life. And that's to begin between them and God. But people have a tendency to lie to ourselves. If I just had, you know, fill in the blank, I would do this for God. Well, If you're not going to do it without the 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 fill-in-the-blank part, you're not going to do it with it. Because you've proved that you can't handle the little things. And God says, if you're faithful in little, He will give you much. He'll give you more and He'll give you more. He'll give you more opportunities to serve Him and more opportunities to give to Him and all these things that come down to it. But He says, where is your priority? Where are your eyes? Their eyes were supposed to be on God. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. It's not like the old land where you had to work hard. And by the way, you weren't getting it for yourself. It was going to your masters. But I'm giving you a land that I'm going to water. I'm going to provide the water. And you're going to get the crops in due season. And this is quite a promise that he's making to them. Verse 13 says, and it shall come to pass... If you will hearken diligently to, unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain in your land in due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in the corn and your wine and your oil. I will send grass in your fields for your cattle that they may eat and be full. So the promise is, if you love me, Give me your strength, give me your honor, give me your skills that he would provide. And I love this. He goes, that I will give to you, the rain in your land in due season, the first and latter rains. Now, I don't know much about raising crops and when to harvest them, but my dad used to harvest wheat, and he would tell us that they had to be very careful because you had to harvest the wheat after so many days after the rain. Otherwise it would be packaged up in the, in the, in the bales wet. And if you packaged it up wet, it would oftentimes self ignite into flame. So he said there there was all these things they had to do. And if you had, didn't get enough rain, your crops didn't grow. And if you got it at the wrong time, it might ruin the crop before you could harvest it. And there's a lot of science involved in this rain. And here God's saying, I'm going to give you the first rain and the latter rain. I'm going to give you the rains at the right time, at the right amounts, that you're going to be able to get a good harvest. And I do know that they need water. I do know plants need water. Every time I've had a garden, I've had to keep that stupid thing watered. And I usually let my wife do it, because I've told everybody, I've got a black thumb. If I just water stuff, the, the plants die. So oh, it doesn't matter. I, 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 I mean, either way, you could overwater something. Yeah, oh. it doesn't matter. I've got a black thumb. It'll kill them no matter what. But it says. God was going to give them the rain they needed for their crops. And then he goes, and by the way, I'm going to put plenty of grass in your fields for the cattle. And this is here in this Golden Valley area, this area. uh, Kay and her sister have both told me how they used to ride around on their horses and the grass was up to the belly of their horses and the cattle were everywhere with plenty of grass to eat. They didn't have to look for anything to eat because the grass was so plenteous. And we see the results of different droughts and everything that we've had, that there's practically no, no grass. And it says, Take heed to yourself that your heart be not deceived, and that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And here's what we have said How easily we deceive ourselves. We can lie, humans have this capacity to lie to ourselves so easily. Well, I'm just doing this because. <laughs> You know, when I was first married, I used to I was a workaholic, and I had myself totally convinced I was doing what was best for my family. Never saw them, but I was doing what was best for them. I had a roof over their heads and utilities and plenty of food and you know clothes and all these stuff. I never saw the kids in the family for the first eight or nine years. Barely saw my wife. But you know, we have this capacity to lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that what we're doing is right. God, I just need this one little bit of fun. You know, it, I know it's a sin, God, but I just need this one. I just need this one, God. You know, I know I gave up drinking 10 years ago, but I just need this drink today and I can do it. You know, I just need this one hit on the drug. It, it, won't, it won't get me even though I gave it up years ago. God, I just need whatever it might be. And it hooks you and takes you away from God. And God here, and his, this, remember the penchant that they've had is to keep following after other gods. They're just a couple weeks outside of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai and they make a golden calf. Later on, they're going to, to worship the other gods and, and Balaam comes in and says, "Yo, just send the girls into the guys and get them to worship the, the, worship uh, Balaam, uh, Baal, and, the, you know, and their God will judge them and they went to with the girls and worshiped the, the idols. They keep having this problem with idols, and they're going to have problems with idols for the entire time that they're a nation. They're going to keep following after these dumb wooden, wood uh, gold-covered wood idols that can't hear, can't speak, can't do anything, and they worship them rather than the God who's done things for them. But we need to be careful because we worship idols quite frequently too. Whether, whether it's entertainment, or our belly, or or sexual addictions, or drugs, or whatever it might be, or we or, you know, we have this tendency to follow after idols, even in this day and age, even though they're not gold-covered wood. They're still things that we bow down and put before God. We don't literally bow down, but we spend all of our time saying, God, I'm going to give you all my time, TV. I'm going to give you 12 hours a day as we get ourselves bombarded with all the bad information that we shouldn't be bombarded with. It could be just about anything, but we need to be so careful because it's so easy to deceive ourselves. We just need to take our eyes off God, take our eyes off His Word, take our eyes off going to going to be with His people at the various times that the church is open. Take our eyes and ears off listening to teaching, good, good teaching, and the next thing you know we wonder how we drifted so far away from God I had no intention of drifting away from God, but where, God, where, where? are God? what are you doing way down the beach there? You know, how did I drift down this far down the beach? You know, God, uh, why did you move while I was swimming out here in the water? You know, and it's us that we took our eyes off and we moved down. And then we go, how did I get so far? How did I get so deep into this area of sin? How did I get so far away from God that I don't see him anymore? And he's told them, keep your eyes on what he has done because he's got rewards and if we take our eyes off there's there's consequences and it is a discipline to get up every morning and read your bible and pray it is a, a discipline to spend to to go to church but the good news about this is once you do it enough that it becomes part of who you are it's easy but you still have to be careful because you can slide out of it real easy people who do exercises and they get their body all built up you know and they, they they look good. They run, they run, their, they run their miles, and, and 20 or 30 miles, whatever it might be, and they do their weightlifting lifting, and, and they do their exercise, and their body's all buffed, and, and they're eating all the carbs and, and food to give the energy they need to be able to do all that stuff, and then they start stop doing all the exercises and forget to stop eating, and, and very quickly, very quickly they lose everything. Or get a heart attack, yeah. But but it's so easy to slip out of the good, slip out of the watching of God and his people. Quit watching and reading his word and letting him be our leader and then watch how fast we can slip into the sinful lifestyle because our flesh wants to sin. Our soul wants to sin. Our spirit wants to serve God, but if it's not being fed, it's not going to have the power to serve God in opposition to the flesh and the, and the soul. And we'll end up falling away from God. We got to stay connected. we got to stay connected. We have to have our eyes on Him because He is the ultimate goal. We keep our eyes focused on Him and make our moves toward Him. Because the moment we take our eyes off Him, what happened to Peter? He was walking on the water. He took his eyes off of wow. Jesus and looked at the waves and he immediately began to sink. At least he was smart enough to say, Lord, help me. And God and you know, Jesus picked him up and put him back in the boat. But we need to be so careful. Take heed that your hearts be not deceived and you turn aside. Verse 17, and then the Lord's wrath is kindled against you. And he shut up the heaven till that there be no rain in the land to yield her fruit, lest you perish quickly off of your good land, which the Lord gives you. He says, you start sinning and God will dry up the blessings. And this is what I tell people we need to be careful of. When God is blessing us, we need to keep focused on Him and the, as the giver of our blessings because the moment we take our eyes off Him and say, wow, look at all these blessings that I got and forget that, that God gave me, God will dry them up and say, okay, let's let you live without them for a while and see how far you can go without my blessing." And hopefully we got Peter as soon as he starts, as soon as he started sinking, he goes, help. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, though, we have to hit bottom. And this is what I've told a lot of people, especially parents with their kids. You've got to let God bring your child to the rock bottom so that they will turn around. Well, I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see them in skid row. I don't want. To... Then you are going to continue to see them turning away from God because you are becoming their God. Very important. There is this point where we have to let somebody go out. The prodigal son, his father let him go out, and hit rock bottom. That he's feeding the pigs, wanting to eat what the pigs are eating, and realizing my 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 dad's house is much better. The servants are fed better. I need to go back to dad's. We need to have that happen. The more we try to protect our children, our grandchildren, the longer it'll take for them to get to the bottom. And need that help. And a lot of times I understand. I Believe me, I understand. you. Especially when there's grandkids involved. You don't want your kids to hit rock bottom. Because there's grandkids involved that are being hurt. But at times it's what it takes. Because they need to get to where they look back to God. Not back to mom and dad. Well, mom and dad, are you going to help me? <laughs> you know, You're God, you can help me. And we want to be careful of being in that place with them. God says, I'm going to send no rain. You are going to suffer. Your land is going to dry up. And you're going to be, you can be taken quickly off your good land if you don't follow. And God oftentimes will do that to us. If we don't obey him, we don't have our eyes on him. And we take our eyes and we start thinking that he's not the one blessing us. Somehow we did something that's worth earning. God will say, okay, let me take the blessings away and kick you off the good land. You'll be sent away from the good land until you're ready to repent. Verse 19 says, Wherefore shall you lay up these words in your heart and in your soul? Bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets before your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. So here he's telling them how to keep following him and he says you will lay up my words in your heart and your soul in other words memorize the bible and i have so many people tell me well i just can't memorize you know what if you just memorize one verse a year that's more verses in your heart than you had at the beginning of the year and i know that everybody can memorize at least one verse a year you could probably learn one verse a month if you wanted to. But I can guarantee if all you did was read the verse every day for a year, you would memorize the verse. And people go, well, what's one verse? It's one more verse than you knew when you started the year. All right? <laughs> But many of us would be surprised how many verses you may know if you've studied studied the word at all. Because it's so important. But we're going to, we want to start challenging people to start memorizing verses. And the easiest way to memorize the verse, put it on your bathroom mirror. And every time you're looking at shaving or putting makeup on or whatever it is you do in the morning, brushing your teeth, say the verse. While you're brushing your teeth, you're there for three minutes. If you're brushing your teeth correct, say it a couple of times. After the end of the month, two months, three months, definitely by the year, you'll have had that verse memorized. you would be able to say that verse without ever looking at it. When you get to that point, put another verse on the mirror. Learn that one. Review the other one once in a while to make sure you still remember it. I remember many verses that I remembered when I was 15. Lots of them then, because I really went on an intense program of memorizing scripture at age 15. But I remember ones I learned before that in Sunday school. God wants us to lay up his word in our heart. Because when we are in trials, when we are in trials, we may not have time. Well, let me go look up this verse in the Bible to see what the, you know, We need a verse that comes to our, our, our mind that says to honor God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on to your own understanding. Okay, God, I want to, this really sounds like a good thing, but there's something in me that says no, so I want to trust in you. Rejoice in the Lord evermore. That's a long verse, right? Rejoice in the Lord evermore. It's in 2 Thessalonians 5. Okay? Uh, Pray without ceasing. That's another one from 2 Thessalonians 5. It's a really long verse. Get, get into some good ones and help learn them. But you know what? If you're really learning those verses and all of a sudden you're being tested to be disappointed and not be happy and it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5:17. Rejoice in the Lord. When everything seems to be going wrong, rejoice in the Lord. When everything's going right, rejoice in the Lord. When nothing is going right, rejoice in the Lord. We want to put these verses in our hearts, and these toils us. Put them in your heart, bind them, and your soul. Bind them in as a sign on your hand, so that they change the way we behave. All right, that's what he's saying here. You're, when God speaks to you, it should change the way we behave, the way we act. There are so many people that I meet that seem to. They say they're Christians, but, and they go to church a lot, but they don't seem to do what God says to do. It never moves beyond a brain-head knowledge into, I'm going to have my life changed by listening to God. This is what's important. And that it may be a front lip between your eyes. Does everything we see get filtered through the Bible? I've talked many a times about this. Do you have a biblical frame of mind? worldview or do you have a worldview that's been established through Satan and i you know one of the examples I like to use it says God hates divorce and we'll go I I agree with you God you hate divorce we shouldn't get divorced and then you'll have a friend come by and tell you how miserable their married life is and and this person is just beating them and browbeating them or or making life just miserable for them and what's the first words out of your mouth well you should just get divorced Do I have a biblical worldview that says we need to get you some biblical counseling and help you get through this? Or the world's view that says, well, it's bad, just get out of it. The easy way out. out. Do it God's way or do it the way the world tells you. We do this in so much of our life. It's okay if I do that. Now, I'm not going to do it as heavily as these other guys do. I'm not going to take as much alcohol and as much drugs. I just need a little bit. God, it's, you know, I'm just, you know, God, you know, I I know you said don't get drunk, don't, you know, don't get, you know, but God, you know, and we argue with them, and we don't follow a biblical worldview, we get people who, many times when I've been talking to young people, they'll go, well, I think God wants me to get married to this person, is this person saved, oh, no, but God says don't be unequally yoked, God is not approving of that marriage, oh, but I love them, and, you know, and all this stuff, and they start applying instead of a godly worldview, they go to a satanic worldview or world non biblical worldview and say well it'll be alright I don't care that 90 percent of the people 99 percent of the people get fall away from their faith or get being unequally yoked I'll be that I'll be that 0.1 percent person who's successful we need to be careful God says I want my word to be on the frontlets of your eyes I want to see it be attached to your hands your action I want you to think and see with my view and I want you to act according to my view. This is a challenge for us because as humans we tend very quickly to go to the ungodly, unbiblical worldview because that is who we are. And unless we're in His Word, in with His people, making a choice that I'm going to do things God's way, I will make the wrong decisions. And again, I said, as I said before, the time to make the decision of what you're going to do is before you face the temptation. With teen boys, I've told them, the time to decide how far you're going to go you know, go, go with a girl is not when you're in the back seat of the car on the top of the mountain. Uh, that is not the right time to be deciding how far you're going to go in a physical relationship. You have to have made that decision through a biblical framework before you even put yourself in that position. The, somebody who's a kleptomaniac has to put themselves in the mind that they're going to obey God, that, th- that stealing is wrong before they put themselves in a, in a place alone where they want to steal. We have to make our decision to follow God before the temptation, not as the temptation's happening. We have to make the decision, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to honor God in all my decisions because it is what's right. It is what I'm going to do because that's what he wants me to do. And when we've made that decision, then when the temptation comes, it's like, hold it, I've already decided I'm following God and this is not the right way to go. Unfortunately, we will still fall sometimes, but we will fall less when we've made the decision ahead of time. We need to be able to say, I'm going to keep my eyes on him. Or as Amy said, God keeps saying, be strong. That means I have made my decision ahead of time and I'm going to stay strong in that decision and move with him. Then in verse 19 it says, and you will teach them to your children. Okay? In verse 5, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, it said fathers teach your children and it uses the same same, uh, framework. And I love this. Teach your children... When you sit down in your house or when you're sitting down eating dinner or just sitting down talking to one another. When you walk as you're going places. As you lie down, when you're getting ready to go to bed, you teach your children. And when you get up. In other words, no matter what you're doing, you're teaching your children. And you know, we are teaching our children something, whether we're doing it on purpose or not we are teaching our children something hopefully if we're walking with god they're watching us do godly things in every situation if we're not walking with god we're still teaching them but we're teaching them to not follow god in every decision and this is very important our children our friends our family they're always watching us especially when they when we claim to be christians and going and they're looking how does a christian handle whatever situation you're in. The disciples walked with Jesus for four years. They saw what Jesus did in every opportunity that he did. They saw how, he, how the master responded to every situation. They saw him give love. They saw him heal people. They saw him have compassion. They lived with him and they saw this is how you live. It's amazing because Everybody is always watching us. And I think I've shared this before, but when I first moved to to Kingman, I ended up having to take the teenagers to Phoenix. And I had not been with the teenagers. I'd never even been to Phoenix. I didn't even know how to get to Phoenix. And as I was driving through the speed trap out there in the middle of nowhere, I didn't see the science change and I got pulled over. I got pulled over with a van load of 15 teenagers. Great example of a Christian who's supposed to be the leader being pulled over. But I did what I knew I needed to do. I was respectful to the officer and I was very kind. And, you know, a couple of the people go back, well, you know, if my dad got, when my dad gets pulled over, he's cussing and screaming and I'm going, well, I didn't see the sign change, but I, you know, I got pulled over and I deserve whatever comes comes to me. So what did they see? Yes, something wrong, but they watched how a Christian reacts when they get caught. And it led to some very interesting conversations that night with me and the boys as we sat down and we're talking about how do you live a Christian life in reality? Why? Because I had shown them that my way of living was different than the way they were used to seeing. Does that mean that when we follow God that we're never going to make mistakes? No, we're going to make mistakes. The question is, how do we handle those mistakes? Do we still lift up God and represent him in a Christian manner? in failure as well as in victory. It's easy to follow God when everything's going right, okay? When everything's going right, it's easy to do what God wants. The hard part is when things start being wrong or I start making mistakes and I make a bad decision and my life starts to fall apart. That's when it becomes hard to keep following Him and I tell you, that's when people are really watching you. You know, they're watching you when everything's going good and they're going, oh yeah, you know, everything's going good, of course they can follow God. But when things start falling apart around you, they're watching you. Do you lose your temper because things are going bad? Do you, do you start cursing? Do you start stomping your feet and getting mad at everybody? Do you start, you know, blaming God just as they would? Or do you just keep handling, hanging on to God? Very important. Our children watch us every minute. Our friends are watching, especially non-Christian friends, are watching us every minute. How does a Christian react? How does a Christian react when you lose your job? How does a Christian react when they get pulled over by the police? How does a Christian react when they get accused wrongly of doing something? What do they, how do they react when this happens? How do they react when that happens? And they're watching to say, what, what is different about this person than from, from the rest of the world? And if we end up reacting just the way the rest of the world does, they're going, yeah, I knew, I knew they were just a bunch of hypocrites and phonies. There's nothing there's nothing of that Christian stuff. You know, they, they they had their act, you know, they did okay when everything was going good, but things went bad and they they're just like us. They're just like us. This is why we have to keep our eyes focused on God. Keep our eyes focused on a, on a biblical worldview. Keep ourselves set up, number one, so that we don't enter into as that many problems, but that even when we do, we have a biblical framework to look at and, and follow through with. Very important because it is easy, so easy to drift off and get on and get into the world standards. And as I say, God tests us. Why does He test us? To prove what we believe, and also to show others what a Christian life is really like. And again, when we fail, we we repent. We may have to say sorry to a few people that were watching us, especially our kids. It's hard for our parents to say, you know. Uh, my, my, my lovely daughter and my, my wonderful son you know, I really messed it up when this happened uh, yesterday I really did not act in a godly way this was not the way it should have been done that has a lot of impression on people when they see that kind of reaction that humility to say yes I messed up but it was wrong and God wanted me to do this and next time I'm going to try better to do that to be a better example for you And he's telling them, teach your children. Teach them. And you're doing it by the way you live. Not because I'm forgiven and I can do whatever I want. Not a cheap grace that just says, God's just going to forgive me. I can go out and do whatever I want. No. That just tells people we're just like them. And if we can do that without any kind of guilt or condemnation from God, then we've got a problem that we don't know him. Because if we're going out and just sinning so that grace can abound, we've got a bigger problem than than that. We probably don't know God in the first place. We don't understand the high cost of our salvation. And we want to be very careful as we go forward and realize we're always being looked at. If you don't have kids, you've got neighbors looking at you saying, how does a Christian live? If you don't have children and they're all grown, you've got grandchildren that are going to look and you still have children looking at you. And the sad thing for a lot of people is as their children have gotten older and they realize what a bad job and a bad example they are, they've really got to go to their kids and say, you know what, I am sorry that I was such a bad example to you. This is the way that God is supposed to live and I wanted you to just try to get to know him. Don't live, don't make the same mistakes that I've done. Hopefully, you get some other great benefits and say, but watch how I'm living. Watch how I'm living now as I'm trying to follow God to the best, the best I can. And challenge them to, to look, look past it. And it may be hard for them. And it may not be an easy thing, but the God will be able to lift them up. We are, people are looking at us. Friends, coworkers, neighbors, anybody you tell that you're a Christian, you know, have you ever witnessed to somebody and then just walked a few feet away and stubbed your toe or something and you're getting all mad or something or something bad? You know, got a phone call saying your ride's not coming and you start getting all upset and that you, that poor person you just told about God about is looking at this, looking at you like, oh, what kind of God is that over there that you're that you're so upset you know about? Uh, yeah, they're looking at hypocrite. And unfortunately, we all have hypocritical activities in our life because that is who we are outside of God our goal is to let God work through us so much that we will be lifted up that we will go forward let's close in prayer Lord we just thank you for this opportunity Lord help us to be good stewards of what you've given us help us to keep our eyes on you help us avoid all idols all non biblical worldview activities that may come our way and we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.